to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we are talking about a failure of green energy, a new study on climate, we'll talk about the vanishing California dream, and we'll have an update on the baby formula crisis next on Living with Liberty. hammered over the head with green energy. We must reduce carbon emissions. We have to have more energy produced by solar and wind. But what happens when those alternative energy sources fail? Nobody wants to ask nor answer that question. We know firsthand what happens when solar and wind fail. We saw it during the historic cold snap in Texas last year. It became apparent that solar and wind are not as resilient as coal, natural gas, or nuclear options. I have another story here about the failure of green energy from the Daily Caller titled, From Solar Grid to Cattle Shed, How Greenpeace's Dream of a Solar-Powered Village Fell Apart in a Few Years by Thomas Catanacci. The story tells of a village in India, Darnai, where in 2014, Greenpeace built a solar microgrid in order to bring electricity to make the town energy independent. That solar grid today is now a cattle shed. So what happened? One of the co-founders of Greenpeace, Patrick Moore, has an answer. He says this, It's the same thing that's happened a lot across Africa. Goody Two-Shoes comes in and builds them a small solar facility. Then pretty soon the battery wears out and it just doesn't get repaired and they don't know what to do because they don't have any expertise. And he says there's plenty of those stories. So it amounts to the usual liberal operating procedure of giving less than half a thought to an emotionally charged idea. Sure, it's a great idea to bring Uh, electricity into those that don't have it to try and make a town in a remote part of of a country like India energy independent, but they don't think about, well, there's maintenance that goes on. There's other things that need to happen in order to make this a self-sufficient and sustaining operation here. 
So they go into a village that does not have reliable electricity, set up a solar grid. Let's pat ourselves on the back for doing a good deed and saving the planet and then bug out, leaving the villagers to fend themselves when the setup inevitably breaks down or needs maintenance. And break down this solar array did. So much so that the villagers were warned to not use high-drawing appliances like TVs and refrigerators. So kind of defeats the purpose of having your own solar grid alone, or, or, or your own electrical grid. You, who, who doesn't, you know, who, who's not going to want to power their TVs and refrigerators after having been able to do that? And, and the thing breaks down, and now you, I can't watch TV. I can't keep my food fresh. I... Just, you know, unreal. You see how this thing breaks down and, and it just, I, I don't get it. Now, the power outlet output from the solar grid was so unreliable that villagers just disconnected from it. So they, they left it. Going from 255 users when it was first set up in 2014 to 120 in 2016. So just two years later. Uh, over half of the people using it just outright disconnected from the thing. It's that unreliable. And now today, in 2022 here, it's a cattle shed. It's being used to shelter cattle today. Now, one anonymous local had this to say about this solar array. We, had, we left solar connection after using it for one year. How can poor people like us pay such amounts of money? They used to give electricity for only two hours. During rain, they, uh, they do not give the electric supply, and they do not do it during the fog in winter either. So that's super cool. These people pay a ton of money, and they get two hours of electricity during good weather. If there's rain, if there's fog, forget it. You're not getting any electricity at all. And here's where maybe if there was more than half a thought given to this project, it would have been identified that solar power is no good in rain or fog. So you need some sort of backup and batteries aren't it. You kind of need the sun to generate the power when you set up a solar array. And if you don't have the sun, or if you do have a monsoon season like India has, where there's not uh, any sunshine for I imagine stretches of days, maybe even weeks, who knows. You sort of need a backup plan here to power everybody's homes that you've come in and promised electricity to. So what did the village of Darnai do to satisfy its power needs? Well, in 2016, it connected to the coal power grid and turned their solar array into a really expensive kettle barn. The refrigerators are running, and the cows now have a nice place to hang out. Are you looking for some new gear to show off your patriot pride this Memorial Day? Living with Liberty Outfitters has you covered. Whether it be a new t-shirt, hat, sweatshirt, tank top, or drinkware, we've got you covered. Head to livingwithlibertypodcast.com and click on the store link to find the next addition to your wardrobe or housewares. And as I did last year, all proceeds from sales through the end of June will be donated to the A A Soldier's Child Foundation. Okay, on to our second climate story of the day. 
I came across an interesting study by Hiroyuki Murakami, who is a scientist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, or uh, for some of you out there that don't uh, understand, that's a government agency. His findings indicate a correlation between air cleanliness, specifically the amount of particulate in the air called aerosols, and the number of hurricanes that form in the Atlantic Ocean. The data Mirakami studied takes into account hurricane formation data from the past 40 years. So it's a pretty extensive study. It's not just something he went out and looked at the last couple years of. It's not something he's even looked at the last 10 years of. He looked over the past 40 years. And here's what was found. Almost 90% of aerosols released into the air have natural origins, such as volcanoes and forest fires while the remaining 10% come from human activities such as manufacturing cement, burning coal, diesel exhaust, etc. The NOAA study examines data from two periods, 1980 to 2000 and 2001 to 2020, during which North America and Europe significantly cut their output of human-caused aerosols. And the results of all this, of what this study found, was that there was a 50% decrease in human-caused aerosol pollution from 1980 to 2020 that has contributed to a 33% increase in storm formations in the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, you heard that right. As we've decreased the air pollution, particularly the particles in the air, hurricanes formed in a greater volume. The idea is that when there are fewer pollution particles to reflect the sun's energy back into space, water will get warmer and act as a fuel for hurricanes. And without significant amounts of particulate pollution to reflect sunlight, the ocean absorbs more heat and warms faster, Noah said in a May 11th statement. That last statement came from Noah. Well, hold on a second here. What is it we keep getting told? We need to reduce our carbon emissions because we are causing global warming, which is causing more frequent and powerful hurricanes. The greenies keep pounding on us to put in more solar and wind farms to the detriment of the environment. The AOC types keep pushing a Green New Deal. Big investment firms keep putting the screws to corporations to green up their operations The government, the SEC, wants to put more onerous uh, regulations on uh, corporations and their supply chains to to track how much uh, carbon footprint there is in their entire supply chain. But here we have a study that flies in the face of that. This study comes along and says, hey, you start cleaning up the air, the more solar energy that is able to hit the ocean, Warming it, which in turn makes it more susceptible to hurricane production. Interesting. The activities that we are being hounded to undertake because of global warming are actually leading to the warming of the ocean itself. The study also looked at typhoon formation in Asia. 
because you can't, you, you have to look at both, right? We know our air is getting cleaner. We know uh, Asian air is getting dirtier. Over the same time period, that as uh, the Asian air became dirtier, that area also experienced fewer typhoons. And from the study, it was uh, said that in this case, a 40% increase in the concentration of particulate air pollution has been one of several factors that has contributed to a 14% decrease in typhoons in the Pacific. Of course, we are not going to hear anything about this study. Nobody will mention a word about it. And why not? Why won't we hear anything about this study? Follow the money. Green energy is heavily subsidized by the government, which for now keeps the cost of uh, producing electricity from solar or wind artificially low. Don't think for one second that once the conversion to unreliable green energy is complete, those subsidies won't be pulled, causing costs to skyrocket to the end consumer. Heavily subsidized right now to get uh, to, to get acceptance, to get implementation. Once, once all the coal and nuclear are shut down, all the subsidies will get pulled. It's just not sustainable to keep, to, to keep subsidizing something to, in, in perpetuity. It just isn't. It has to end sometime. It should end now. It, it's proven that it's un, not reliable enough to, to be the sole source. But they won't do that. They'll keep subsidizing it because there's an agenda. Like I said, follow the money. Green Energy gave $1 million in donations directly to the Biden campaign in 2020 and gave another $3.9 million to liberal interest groups during that same campaign season. The League of Conservation Voters spent $60 million on direct donations and advertisements during the 2018 midterms to aid candidates who directly aligned with their climate agenda. Follow the money. The left will cherry-pick this study to justify their ocean is warming because of climate change, gaslighting, in order to keep the money flowing in from these interest groups, and in order to keep justifying, in order to keep justifying their bent on totally replacing coal, natural gas, and, uh, and nuclear. Now, what do we need to do? What should we do? What should our thoughts be as a result of this study and what it is apparently showing? What we need to do is we need to use it to bring balance to the climate psychosis that has overtaken our stream of consciousness, it seems. We all want clean air. We know that it is good for our health. We know that dirty air full of particulate isn't good. It causes all kinds of problems like asthma, uh, other breathing difficulties. Uh, just not good for the overall health of any living thing. Unless you're a tree, then, you know, it's really good for if you're a tree and a plant because they suck in all that carbon dioxide. Um, you know, the particulate, not so much, but, you know, we, we, we've done a good job, I guess, in Europe and uh, in North America, filtering all that out. We're getting more hurricanes because of it, but we need to have, so we, we need to have some sort of 
balanced policy when it comes to this. We all want clean air. I don't know anybody not saying, hey, I'd love this dirty air. Mm, take a whiff of that. Smell that, that the, the smell of diesel fumes and, and jet fuel and, uh, you know, burning coal. Uh, nobody walks outside and says that. We all want clean air. We know it's good for us. We have one planet. We, we should take care of it in a sustainable way. We should do things that, that make it better. I don't disagree with that. I don't think anybody out there disagrees with that. The problem is that climate change continues to be a religion on the left. It should not be a religion on the left. We should be able to come together and say, hey, look, for all involved, we need to have some rely we need to have reliable energy to make sure our our economy continues to grow that uh folks in underdeveloped countries or developing nations have the opportunity to grow. We shouldn't in the United States and Europe and Canada, we shouldn't be the ones shouldering all the burden for this. China's plenty affluent enough now. Their economy is plenty big enough to start making concessions and cleaning up their air. It should not be a religion, though. We should be looking at this from a pragmatic and centrist point of view of what do we want to accomplish as as a society? Do we want to keep moving forward? If not, hey, let's go to all green energy, and when it fails, it's going to be Hunger Games. That's that's the bottom line here. Should we continue to allow the climate change boogeyman to inform all of our policy decisions or even all of our policy ideas? No, I don't think so. This study suggests that all of our efforts are having the opposite effect of what was intended. The, the, the direct sunlight is warming the ocean because we've removed things from the atmosphere that are, are reflecting sun's rays back to the uh, back into outer space, allowing the ocean not to not heat as quickly. We're causing more hurricanes by this. Th- that's what doesn't get... Uh, That's what nobody thinks of here. Nobody does actual science when it comes to climate. We are one super volcanic eruption away from another ice age on this planet, but nobody talks about that. I think we've all seen uh, at some point or another, there was a meme going around about all the time, uh, the covers of Time magazine with all the climate alarm and uh, alarmism on them going from, I think it was the 70s from, oh, where are we heading to another ice age to, oh, where, you know, planets heating up to another ice age. To, none of it ever came true because it's not based in anything but emotion. There's no logic to it. If there was logic to it, it would be, uh, the, the articles would be looking at it and saying, hey, look, we've taken all these cores from Antarctica. We can tell what, you know, with a, a, a degree of certainty what the climate was like and what the temperatures were like during that time. And they fluctuate. Climate is always changing. You know why they changed it to climate change? Because the climate's always changing. It's not global warming. They had to get rid of that when the ice caps started growing again. So we just call it climate change. Now, yeah, the climate's going to change. So it shouldn't be the religion that it has become. It shouldn't be informing policy decisions to, to the fringe. We've we've done a good job of cleaning up our air so much so that we're we're 
uh, heating the, uh, uh, the ocean and causing more hurricanes. I mean, these wild shifts to the extreme fringes of a solution to the climate crisis are not helpful for the environment. They're not helpful for our progress as, civil, as a civilization. Common sense needs to be exhibited when it comes to environmental policy, and we need to elect officials who will worry less about pandering to the climate alarmists and more about creating plans for sensible environmental policy. If you are listening to the show audio only and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit that subscribe button. The more subscriptions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms and the more we are able to spread the truth. California was once the model that other states would try to emulate. They had great schools, a great business climate. People continually moving in with dreams of striking it rich, whether it be in Hollywood. You go, well, I guess you go back to the, uh, the gold rush, to, uh, to Hollywood, to whatever. I mean, it, it had a really, great, uh, a really great climate there, and people dreamed of going there. And it had an economy that rivaled many countries. I think it's still something in the top 10. If it were its own country, it'd still be in the top 10 of uh, economies, but I'm, I'm losing ground fast. Now, what's happened? Now, it is a state that has declined mightily. People can't leave California fast enough. High taxes, high crime, crumbling infrastructure, failing schools, and an ever-increasing income gap all have people leaving California in droves. I have a real clear investigations piece here titled California's Vanished Dream by the Numbers. I'll link it in the description box. It's a good read. Uh, there's so much there. I'm not going to get to all of it, so I highly encourage you to read that, that piece. Um, it, it really lays out what's going on in California. Uh, really lays it out really well. Uh, the the piece it, uh, the piece points out the problems with the liberal utopia that is uh, it's even making liberals worry. Liberals are worried about what's going on in California. It's it's not turning out to be the utopia they thought it would be. The New York Times, Ezra Klein, who is a reliable progressive and native Californian, according to the Real Clear piece, says that the Golden State's failures are making liberals squirm. So even, even liberals can't ignore what's going on in California. It's not been good for anything. They've seen the failure. That you can't ignore it anymore. And you know what? They should be squirming. California was a model on how to run a state right for a number of years. And it has now become the model of what not to do. It is yet another real-life case study of how liberal policy destroys anything it touches. Moderation, right? Everything in moderation. I'm not saying that there's every liberal idea is bad, right? Just like I don't think every conservative idea is good. What's made this country great is we've had a melding of those ideas over the years. 
you you throw out the dumb ones, you throw out the fringe ones, and you keep the good ones. We've lost that, and now we have California because it's totally dominated now by the the liberal agenda, and everything that is straight leftist agenda, a leftist policy that doesn't have any forethought, that isn't rooted in data, that is just driven by emotion, it turns everything to crap. And honestly, again, I'd say the same thing for conservative ideas. Are they better? Yeah, my heart of hearts, I believe that as a whole, they are better. Do I believe that conservatives have all the answers? No. There's still some uh, ideas called center-left that are reasonable, that should be listened to and incorporated because it's the melding of those ideas, is, again, is what makes us great. California itself has become a state of insulated elites. We saw that. Nancy Pelosi doing whatever she wants. The whole state shut down. She's going to get her hair done. You, you've got the Silicon Valley types uh, that aren't, are untouchable, the the CEOs and the executives of those companies that are untouchable. They're insulated from everything that's going on. They've got their gated communities. They've got more money than anybody in their right mind would know what to do with. So they're insulated from any sort of inflation. They're insulated from crime because they've got their own private security. So they they have a a whole class of insulated elites. It's, It's a state of insulated elites and everyone else. And the, this is also noted in the Real Clear piece. It says this, In a new report for Chapman University, my colleagues and I, the writer of the piece, find California in a state of existential crisis. It's losing both its middle-aged and middle class, while its poor population faces dimming prospects. So what does this all mean? It means that the people paying the taxes and having the kids are leaving the state, making it older and poorer. It means no support uh, through tax dollars of the handouts the state is giving to the poor and, oh, by the way, the illegal immigrants. It means entrepreneurs who may have opened a business in California to employ people in the state at a decent wage are going elsewhere. They might not even be uh, end up being born in the state anymore. I mean, this is not just a now problem. It is a generational problem. It means that the state will hit a tipping point where it will not have enough workers to fill the roles of those that retire. We know right now we're in a, in a, a, a big uh, kind of retirement mode of the baby boomers here. It means you've got people fleeing the state, having their kids elsewhere, not living in the state, not moving into the state to replace workers. Uh, what is what's California going to do in a few years? They're they're going to even uh, be in an even bigger mess. California is aging fifty percent faster than the rest of the country because of this uh, migration out. People aren't having their kids there. Why would you want to have your kids there? The schools are crap. Viol- uh, violent crime is high, particularly in the big cities. Taxes are outrageous. How can you afford a house? How can you afford gas? How can you even afford food in California? People are having to make these choices. Now, continuing on from the piece here, 
California may conjure images of Rodeo Drive and Malibu mansions in the public imagination. I think that's what we all think of, of when we think California, right? We hear California, we're thinking the ritz and glitz of Hollywood and Malibu, and, uh, but that's not the reality of it. Today, the state suffers the highest cost-adjusted poverty rate in the United States. The, what, what is the richest state? I think it's still the richest state in the union. I, I would think so with all the tech firms there and everything. Hollywood. It it's, it's, has the highest cost-adjusted rate poverty uh, rate in the United States. How can that be? The, well, it's the poor and near poor constitute over one third, well over 10 million of the state's residents, according to the Public Policy Institute of California. California also faces growing inequality. By the Gini Index, a measure of the distribution of income across a population, California has the third highest inequality behind New York and Louisiana and has experienced the fifth largest expansion of inequality since 2010, according to uh, the American Community Survey. California also suffers the widest gap between middle and upper middle income earners of, every, of any state. California is lagging behind other states in job growth, wage growth, housing starts, you name it. Whatever metric you want to use, California is, is lagging behind in it. California lags all peer competitors. Texas, Arizona, Tennessee, Nevada, Washington, and Colorado in creating high-wage jobs in fields like business and professional service as even tech growth begins to shift elsewhere. So California is no longer the, the tech hub of the country. Even tech companies are moving out. California is lagging behind Rust Belt states in corporate investment garnering one-sixteenth the amount of Ohio. Yes, you heard that right. Ohio is getting more corporate investment than California and substantially more corporate investment. Now, more from the Real Clear piece regarding California's employment growth. The state fell to 44th in the country in manufacturing sector employment growth last year. Its industrial new job creation has lacked competitors such as Nevada, Kentucky, Michigan, and Florida. Another Rust Belt state in there in Michigan. Even without adjusting for cost, no California metro area ranks in the U.S. top 10 in terms of offering well-paying blue-collar jobs, notes the New York Times. So even the New York Times is looking at this and says, well, we, there, there's a problem in California. None of their cities... None of their cities in a state that large, that wealthy, none of them offer well-paying, are are in the top 10 in terms of offering well-paying blue-collar jobs. But there are four, the piece goes on, there are four, Ventura, Los Angeles, San Jose, and San Diego that sit among the bottom 10. How how, How can a state like California have four cities sitting in the bottom 10 of offering good-paying jobs. A state with, what, 40 million people living in it? Well, that's officially, anyway. Who actually knows how many people are living in California? 
a state that has enough resources and wealth to be its own country has has uh, the GDP surpassing the majority of nations on this planet. How can a, a state like that not create well-paying jobs? How can a state like that be lagging behind what Rust Belt states like Michigan and Ohio? Well, it's been decades of bad policy decisions that have essentially turned California into a third-world country. The haves and the have-nots. You have the uh, the uh, insulated elites, and you have everybody else. Who would ever thought that in their, and who would ever thought in their lifetime, I'll put it that way, that Rust Belt states would be creating jobs and garnering more investment than California? And last to add on this before we move on, like I said, I'll link the, the article in the description box. I'm not even going to get to touch on the, um, the uh, education piece of this here. Um, but it's a great read that the education piece will blow your mind. But so this will be the last thing before we move on. So California ranks 49th in home ownership. It produces less housing starts than Texas, Arizona, or Florida. Those are all purplish to red states. I'd say eh, probably trending back to red in, in the case of Texas. Uh, maybe Arizona and maybe even Florida. Arizona and Florida were purple-ish, I would call them. Um, but they might even be trending. But you know, e- either way, you know these aren't these aren't like blood, you know blood red states by any means. Even even Texas to a certain degree. But again, that's changing, I believe. But so what does that say when you have less housing starts in Texas, Arizona, or Florida? It, it says that the ignoring of reality is a path to destruction. Being a sanctuary state is bad business. Taxation drives people and businesses away. People want their, they want to live somewhere where they're going to be safe. They want to live somewhere where they're going to be able to keep their own money. They want to live somewhere where they're not going to be raked over the coals when they go to the gas pump. They want to live somewhere where their electricity is going to stay on and, and they're not going to have rolling brownouts and blackouts. People are going to find places where their kids will get a good education. Now, at some point, you have to hope that the majority of Californians who don't think there's currently a problem will wake up to what has happened to the state and make the changes needed in terms of what elected officials they are putting in place to represent them. That's where this all starts. They need to make changes in terms of who they're electing to office out there. I know there's a lot of Californian um Listeners out there, I'm not talking about you at all. Um, I'm talking about the rest of the folks in your state who still don't think there's a problem. I, it's a there's a big problem there, and changes are needed in terms of who's holding office there in order to restore the prominence of the state. California, like I said, was the beacon of our country. I mean, pretty much. Perfect weather up and down the state. Uh, wealth untold. Resources uh, not a problem. And now it's a third world country. People need to wake up and, and see what's happening here, make some changes. Otherwise, it is going to be a, a third world country. It, it, like I said, it already is in pockets. 
it's not not a good situation, and the numbers bear that out in this uh, this real clear piece here. Okay. If the Biden administration had their way, we'd be in masks forever. We are going into the usual summer wave of COVID. Now we're all hearing the numbers. Oh, the cases are jumping up. That's the key. Cases are jumping up. And you know what? This The summer wave shouldn't be a surprise to anyone at, uh, anymore. We saw it in 2020. We saw it last year. We saw it. Uh, we're seeing it again this year. But because we live in a country that is running day in and day out under the very definition of insanity, keep doing the same things, expecting a different result, the CDC and the Biden administration are insinuating and recommending that regions seeing the COVID numbers grow should consider once again putting on face diapers. So do the same things that didn't work before, because maybe they'll work this time. Look. Uh, masks are like career politicians. We keep electing them, expecting different results. Health officials appear to keep going back to something, masks, expecting different results. Transmission's high. Let's put a mask on. That'll stop it, even though it didn't the last 15 times we tried it. But it's not the different result they are looking for. That's not what this is really about. Masks are the reminder that the big bad COVID boogeyman is out there and and we should still all be very afraid of it, especially going into midterm elections where we'll need drop boxes and to mail everyone a ballot to, to keep everyone from getting COVID and make sure Democrats get elected. Don't fall for it. It's just time to press ahead with life as normal. No masks. Qu- just quit with the, the booster nonsense. We know that it, it has no effect on the Omicron. It, it just stop with the nonsense already. We've, we have to live with it. We have to take the precautions that we've been taking. So you're sick, stay home. If you're, if you're uh, at risk and you feel you need to take the shot, take the shot. Nobody cares. You want to put a mask on, put a mask on. Who cares? But to, this broad peanut butter approach is is useless. It's been proven useless. Do not fall for it again. It's just them setting up the narrative again that we need to, just in time for the midterms, that we'll need to shut down voting, not let anybody out of their house, send out mail-in ballots all over the country so the Democrats don't get slaughtered at the polls. That's what this boils down to. All right, finishing up with an update on the uh, baby formula shortage. Uh, the shuttered plant in Michigan could be up and running as early as this week. Uh, it was very noncommittal from what I've seen. It said it could be this week. It could be next week. could be within a few weeks, it said, depending where you look and who you talk to, of course. Uh, but it's going to take time before we see product at the shelf. Estimates right now are 8 to 10 weeks before any new production from that plant starts to arrive in stores. So you're looking at a late July or early August time frame before we start to see formula from that Abbott plant on store shelves. And I did hear um, that that plant is responsible for 40% of everything that's on the shelves. It, it, so it's a huge chunk that they shut this plant. It's a huge chunk of production that goes through this plant. And they just shut down 40% of productive capacity, 40, uh, the, a plant that produces 40% of the the finished goods for the market. They just shut it down. And then nobody said anything until 
stores started running out and we had shortages all over the place. Anyway, off that soapbox. So late July, early August, before you start seeing formula from that, that plant in the stores. Now, thinking about this for a second, what's going to happen with that uh, product as it, as it hits a shelf? Well, there's pent up demand. And you know what? There's probably going to be some panic buying when that formula starts hitting the shelves again because the, the supply chain won't be full. People will have fresh in their minds that I had, we had a shortage. I had to drive hours and spent days looking for formula. I ended up having to dilute formula so I might could feed my baby. The shortage isn't going to be easily forgotten. So as soon as that product hits the shelves, and, and you know stores are going to have a limit on how many you can buy, but they're still going to be panic buying. You'll still see, I think, people going back day after day. Maybe they can get one a day. Maybe they'll... Um, they'll go on and buy one and they'll send someone else to go in and buy one, a grandparent or somebody to buy a formula. I mean, so it's not going to stick around on the shelves long once it starts hitting the shelves again, not for a while anyway. Now, what I would expect is that inventories on formula will not start to normalize until the end of this year. It'll take that long. You're talking about, uh, we covered it before, 12 to 16 weeks before formula hits the market, you know, so... Um, throw in the the demand on top of that, how long it takes to get formula to market. It's it's going to be the end of the year. There's going to be intermittent outages and shortages through the end of the year. That's the reality we're in. So, you know, people are going to panic buy. Some of them will know that. Some of them will just panic buy because, um, you know, the, just the recency of, of formula shortages and the impact to their 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 babies. Now, along with this, the Biden administration has invoked the Defense Production Act to speed up production of the formula and has authorized imports of formula from overseas. Somehow we're going to override the FDA and get this in here quickly. Should have been done months ago. If you weren't going to open the plant up, that should have been done months ago. Once again, day late and a dollar short from this administration. Now, authorizing uh, the uh, the Defense Production Act or invoking it, uh, what that means is it will require suppliers of formula manufacturers, so not the manufacturers themselves, but the, the companies that give them the raw inputs to make formula. It will require those suppliers to fulfill orders from the formula manufacturing companies before other customers in an effort to eliminate production bottlenecks. Biden is also authorizing the Defense Department to use commercial aircraft to fly formula supplies that meet federal standards from overseas to the U.S. in what the White House is calling Operation Fly Formula, real original name there. Okay, so downside of invoking the Defense uh, Production Act is that there now will be inefficient allocation of resources in the market, meaning there will likely be shortages of other products in the market containing those ingredients being funneled to the formula makers. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. I'm just saying this is what's going to happen. The, the, anytime you're, the government gets involved in allocation of resources in the economy, it's going to be inefficient because the government isn't competent in that. So they're saying now, okay, uh, suppliers to formula manufacturers, everything you you make uh, needs to you need to fill the orders to the the uh, formula manufacturers first before you sell it elsewhere. Well, that could be. You know, what does that mean exactly? They, are there 
future orders out there? Do you go by due date on the order? How are they going to do this? And to boot, the, the formula manufacturers only have so much productive capacity. So if those, if those suppliers can outrun them, you know, what's that going to mean? You're going to have a backlog of, of uh, raw materials at the formula plant because they have to fill those orders first. So I'm not saying, again, not saying that this is not the right thing to do. I'm I'm saying it's going to be inefficient. It's going to cause problems else, elsewhere because this this whole administration, just the short-sightedness of this whole thing. And this whole thing could have been avoided if the FDA had just done its job to begin with. We wouldn't be talking about this now. If they would have found that, that and saw, okay, well, this plan has problems, or we shut it down for a little bit, clean it up, get it going again, fine. But it's it's been down for a while. We knew the shortage was coming. The the administration did nothing. Nobody said a word about it. But, you know, at least now, at least, you know, now we have some action. At least now this administration is has been able to put aside its witch hunt of white supremacists long enough to figure out how to get more formula into the country. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.